Good morning, Faith Bridge. Steve Carter here. And today I want to continue in our series called Making Faith Work. And today I want to do something a little bit different. Today I want to take a few words from a passage in James and I want to teach you. I want to share with you what I've learned from a man by the name of Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard was just um, a spiritual mentor from afar. Dallas Willard was this great thought leader and philosopher um, and teacher and author and has had great influence in the local church. I got the privilege to share time with him um, before he passed and it radically shaped me in my quest to make faith work, in my quest to become more Christ-like. And I wanna share with you what I learned from him. But first, let's go to the book of James. And in James chapter five, verse seven, James is offering up a word. And he wants us to be the kind of people who are Christ-like, the kind of people who embody what patience is all about. He says this in verse seven, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Now, what I wanna do is I wanna focus, again, just on a couple words. And in verse eight, it says, you two be patient and stand firm. Now, the, in the original language, that phrase, stand firm, can be translated, establish your hearts. And this word for stand or establish means almost like a trellis, something that's propped up so that you can actually grow in more strength. And what James is saying is we've got to establish in our hearts this characteristic called patience. We've got to establish in our hearts this idea, this reality of patience, whether we're going through suffering, whether we're in a time of waiting, when we are in unprecedented days and times like 2020 has been, and we've gotta act in such a way that helps us become more and more like Jesus. And so, what I wanna do is I wanna give you Dallas Willard's framework on how to establish your hearts so that you can become someone who looks and acts and is more like Jesus. Willard would call this the Vim diagram. So it's kind of like this, this Vim in his mind, it's, it's Latin, it's short for vigor or where we get this, this idea of strength and earnestness. And, and vim is vision, intention, and means. Vision, intention, and means. And if you're watching in your living room, or you're watching in your kitchen, you're watching on your computer, I want you to get this. Dallas would say that every one of us has to be ravished by a vision of Jesus. Kind of ravished by this life that Jesus offers to us. You know, in John 10.10, Jesus details two visions. He says that there is a thief 
who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There's a thief that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, if I want to steal something, that means I want what you have. I want to steal your car. I want to steal what you have because I don't have it. But if I want to kill something, I don't want to just take it. I want there to be no life that comes from it. But if I want to steal, kill, and destroy, in the ancient language and understanding of this word destroy, it literally meant I want no evidence that it ever existed. And this is the vision of the enemy. This is the vision of the devil. This is the vision of the thief. He wants to take what you have. He wants there to be no life and he wants there to be no evidence, no legacy from your one and only life. And Jesus says, that's one vision, but I, I, I offer you another vision. He says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full that you may have this abundant, overflowing life. And when Jesus says, I've come that you may have life to the full, it's not like Jesus is running on empty. He's running from a place of overflowing. And he offers what he already has to every one of us. So for me, my vision, I take it off of John chapter 10, verse 10, and, I, and here, here it is. I was talking and chopping it up with a good friend of mine, TJ, and we were going back and forth on John 10, 10, and I, I just started to talk, and, and he shared, you know what a, a life anchored in Jesus is? A life where you have nothing to prove and nothing to lose and nothing to hide. I mean, just think about that. Can you imagine if, you had established in your hearts that kind of life. A life where there was no proving. You didn't feel like you had to control everything because you weren't afraid to lose anything. A place where you could be so honest and human that like you weren't trying to hide anything, that you had just been so ravished by the life of Jesus that you're like, I want that. See, I, I think so often Many of us have said yes to Jesus in our minds, but somehow it hasn't gotten down to our hearts and it hasn't gotten down to literal practice in our everyday life. And Dallas would say, you can't just have a vision, but you also have to have the second word, intention. And what intention is, is literally the robust intention or decision to say, I'm going to make my choices based upon my vision. If I wanna live a life anchored in Jesus that has nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide, if I wanna live that life, establish it in my heart, then my decisions have to follow that. And Dallas would taught me that there, there were different kinds of wills. He said one will was the impulsive will. You know what this is. This is where you just do what you wanna do. You know, you, you, you feel like you come home, you don't really think about it, you're just like, you know what I'm gonna do, I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna go buy something. I mean, Amazon, Amazon has basically made billions upon billions of dollars playing off of the impulsive will. I mean, when they created just that click one button purchase on their website, it just made everything so much easier. You didn't have to put it into your cart. You didn't have to put it into your wish list. You just click that and in 24 hours, it was at your doorstep. And many of us, we don't think about it. We just do what we want to do. But he said that there's another will. And he calls this the reflective will. This is where we reflect and ponder, will this decision, will this choice 
help me live in alignment with my vision. And if my vision is a life anchored in Jesus, that has nothing to prove and nothing to lose and nothing to hide, then every decision I make ought to be based on this reflective will, helping me achieve that kind of reality for my one and only life. And Dallas is underneath the impulsive will and the reflective will is something he calls the embodied will. And this is muscle memory. And if any of you grew up as children of alcoholics, you would watch your parents come home, whether it was a good day or a hard day, and they would go straight to the bar. And they wouldn't just have one. They wouldn't just have two. This is just what they did. And they did it on Monday and they did it on Tuesday, and they did it on Wednesday, and they did it on Thursday, they did it on Friday, they did it on Saturday. Maybe they went to church on Sunday, but they did it on Sunday night. And there was this muscle memory, this is how you escape. And we have this. For many of us, when, when we're sad, when we're disappointed, and when we feel shame, we run to something. When we're bored, we run to something. And we know what that feels like. And this is that muscle memory, that embodied will. And Dallas says, we gotta be aware of that. But he also says that there's this muscle memory when we are people who are literally living with this reflective will based on this vision. And when we start making decisions based on the fruit of the Spirit, to be people of love, joy, peace, patience, there's that word from the book of James, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. When we make decisions to listen, when we make decisions to literally step back from social media instead of like getting into the fray and attacking our brother or sister, when we find ourselves being people of the fruit of the Spirit, that also has muscle memory. So that when we find ourselves in difficult situations or struggles, we actually have the muscle memory not to be driven by the impulsive will, just to escape and numb out, but we have the kind, be this kind of muscle memory to be the kind of people of Jesus. But it doesn't just happen. You don't just say, I wanna live, the, I wanna live my vision. You gotta make that decision, but you actually gotta have what Dallas would say M means, vision, intention means. And means are the methods or spiritual practices that are gonna help you actually live into the vision. This is where we establish in our hearts that vision. We've made that decision in our hearts and our mind, but the means are what are the practices that are gonna help us live a life that has nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide. And think about this. Part of the, the methods and means is if we look at our life and say, you know, I, I struggle with impatience. I struggle with waiting. I struggle with not grumbling. I'm, I'm more of someone who knows how to waste the weight rather than win the weight. I, I'm someone who finds themselves in the middle of the weight just antagonizing getting angry, escaping, then what we have to do is we have to say, well, how am I going to build the muscle memory so that I can actually learn how to be patient in the moments of suffering, in the moments of waiting, in the moments when I wanna grumble? And this, my friends, is the game changer. I remember um, 
when I was seventh grade. I went to a basketball camp at Pepperdine University, and then I went to a basketball camp at UCLA. And while I, I was there, I spent a week with these coaches. And at the end of the camp, they gave me an evaluation. It's three or four pages. And I remember looking at this, and I just, I was so just frustrated because I was reading these coaches that I respected evaluation of my abilities. And, and I just, you know what I really felt? I felt there's no way I could ever play Division I basketball. I remember on the drive home, my dad's looking at me. He's like, what's up, bud? I just said, man, if these coaches are true and right, I'll never play Division I basketball. We stopped, we got some food. He started looking through this and he said, you know what, maybe you're right. If you take all of these four pages, you're probably right. But what if, what if we just went section by section and over the next year, we started to work. We started to work on your left hand and we started working on how to dribble with your left hand so that you could be a little bit ambidextrous. What about your court vision? And what if we started working on that? So this is what we did. One whole month, my dad had me working on my left hand. I'd dribble a racquetball or tennis ball wherever I went. I was just working on my left hand. And then my dad, the next month, said, let's work on your, your, your court vision. He, he brought me to this overpass in, in Southern California where there was four lanes on the 101 on going one way, four lanes going the other way. And he would just stand out and just yell, second lane, northbound. And I would yell out the car, white Honda Civic. And then he'd say, fast lane, southbound. And I would yell, black BMW. And he just wanted me to be able to see the court, spread my eyes, be able to see it. And I started growing in that. And little by little, I was watching this new muscle memory. I was watching me grow into the vision that I had, which was to play Division I basketball. You fast forward a number of years and I'm on the team at Cal State Fullerton. Now, I didn't really play, but I got free shoes and I sat at the bench, but here's the thing. It wouldn't have happened unless I was able to work on literally putting into practice my game, bit by bit. And this is what James is offering up to us, the opportunity for us to learn how to be patient in all circumstances, in all situations. And we live in a culture right now where I wanna get mine. We go into Starbucks and we don't wanna wait. I mean, we get frustrated. Time is money. We're wasting time and we feel this. And deep down, I think more of America than ever is impatient. Dallas Willard once told John Orper that you need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. But you can say that. The question is, how do you do this? I'll bring you back to this vision, this vision that I, I gave you about a life anchored in Jesus, one that has nothing to prove, nothing to lose, and nothing to hide. So let's break that down. What does it mean to, to live a life where you have nothing to prove? Because I think impatience is connected to that. When, when you feel like you gotta prove yourself, when you feel like you gotta achieve, when you gotta win, you gotta go, you gotta build, you gotta do, you gotta do, you gotta do, all of a sudden what ends up happening is you forget what really is the primary driver and motivation 
that guides and directs your life. And Paul writes about this. He talks about words that Jesus spoke into him. He says this, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. I mean, Paul was a murderer. Paul's job was basically to take down the first church, imprisoned, beaten, kill. And I bet he had tapes that played and replayed of all the things that he had done. And you know what he's saying? My grace is sufficient for you. And he continues on. Jesus says, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Friends, here's what I want you to understand. When you have a deep understanding of grace, when grace is your fuel, when grace drives you, when you understand because of grace, it is sufficient and that God's power is made perfect in your weakness because when you are weak, you are demonstrating your need for grace. When you are so comfortable in your need for grace, it's really hard to be impatient because you got nothing to prove. You can just know how to enjoy the moment. You can know how to enjoy driving even in the slow lane because your family is in the car with you. You're not hustling. What about you? How's your relationship with grace? If you struggle with being impatient, just slow it down and ask yourself, what am I trying to prove and how's my relationship with grace? But again, these methods, these means, come out of our intention to live in connection with our vision. The second, not just nothing to prove, but nothing to lose. And in the book of Matthew, Matthew says these words of Jesus. Jesus says, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. See, I think sometimes we're living in a time where, man, it's driven by scarcity. There's not enough to go around. Driven by control. I gotta hold on to mine. I can't let anybody get in mine. And we feel like we're losing out. We're losing out. The fear of missing out. We're losing opportunities. We're gonna lose if, and, and we're gonna lose if other people get amplified. We get so, so scared. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. What's amazing is the people who are literally are trying to find their life in their own strength are gonna lose it. But those who lose their life for my sake, they're gonna find it. They're gonna find it. And they're gonna find that there's enough to go around. They're gonna find what peace and grace in the kingdom of God is. They're gonna find me. And when you get to a point in your story where you go, I got nothing to prove in Christ. I got nothing to lose in Christ. It is the most holy exhale like, I'm okay, I'm okay. I mean, one of the most powerful books, the book of Job, and James details this in chapter five. When you, when you look at his life, all that he endured, all that he went through, all that happened to his life, and even if everything were to be taken, even if my job, even if this were to happen in my life, as long as I have grace in Jesus, I know I will be good for today 
and for eternity. When you can believe that and know that deep within your bones, you're good. You're good. You can be so patient and you can enjoy right now. You don't have to grumble. You don't just get all angry. You can enjoy right now. Nothing to prove, nothing to lose, and lastly, nothing to hide. I love what the book of Luke says, chapter eight, verse 17. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and or brought out into the open. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. See, I think sometimes we're just trying to hide stuff. A part of our impatience is that we're trying to manage how everybody sees us or experiences us. We're trying to hide our pain. We're trying to hide our wounds. We're trying to hide our addictions. We're trying to hide our struggles. We're just trying to hide. And so it keeps us kind of going like these hamsters that just keep going and going and going and going and going. But here's the truth. Jesus says in the kingdom of God, it all gets brought to the surface. It all does. And, and one of the ways of someone who understands grace is they're okay with being honest and human and saying, I struggle here. I need help with my finances. I'm struggling with prescription drugs. I have a hard time with just anger. I have this pain from my childhood, this trauma or this abuse and haven't been able to, to deal with it so I'm coping through this or that. I mean, if you go on Twitter and you look at cancel culture, all it is is basically bringing things that have been hidden into the light. And in some ways it's profoundly broken in the way that it's done, but in some ways it's proof that the truth always comes out. And one of the ways that you have this understanding of patience is that you learn how to be patient with yourself because you and me, we are all in process. I know I've told you this before, but I love Billy Graham's wife's tombstone. It literally says her name, Ruth Bell Graham. It says the date in which she lived, and then underneath it, it says construction completed. Thanks for your patience. On her tombstone. That is amazing. And friends, sometimes we're just not patient. We feel like we have need to have arrived. And so we don't just grumble at others. We grumble at ourselves. I don't just know how to handle suffering within us. We, we just start to heap more shame and guilt upon ourselves. But when you have this understanding of Jesus and God's kindness and God's love and God's grace and God's patience towards you, ah, you can just step into it. And you can establish in your heart a vision of nothing to prove nothing to lose and nothing to hide. In this season, I've just been learning the power of confession. Here's where I was impatient today. Learning the power of confession. This is, this is what I need to bring to the light. Ah, and a buddy and, my, and myself, we, we wake up Monday through Friday at 6.50 a.m. and we call each other and we literally just share the places in our story where we are living out of alignment with this vision. And I'll tell you what, in just this month, as we did for the month of October, in just this one month, I feel like 
I'm growing new muscle memory. See, you don't just drift towards being more patient. It takes work. And Dallas would always say, grace is always opposed to earning, but never opposed to effort. Because once you have grace, it takes resilience, it takes grit, it takes effort to literally apply that to your life. But when you do, the fruit of patience can begin to grow. What would your life look like? Faith Bridge. What would your life look like if you were someone who's had their one and only life be anchored in Jesus, a life that has nothing to prove, nothing to lose, and nothing to hide? Do you think you'd be more patient? I do. I truly believe you would be. And what kind of gift that would be, not just for yourself, and not just for your relationship with God, but for every person that you interacted with. Friends, do you have a vision? Have you been ravished by a vision with Jesus? Have you decided, had this robust intention to say, I'm gonna make decisions based on my vision? And maybe that vision is just a verse. Maybe it's some kind of anthem. Maybe it's some phrase. But do yourself a favor this week. Get in God's word. Write down a phrase. If you don't have one, steal nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide. But make your decisions. Don't just impulsive will. Be someone built on reflective will. Build the right kind of muscle memory. And then ask yourself, if this is what I want, what are those spiritual exercises, methods, means in which I can fully achieve the life God has for me? This is what James was trying to teach the people to establish in their hearts a life of patience and not impatience, not grumbling, not anger, but to be someone who bears the fruit of the Spirit. I want that for you. I believe that for you. And I believe that our world needs to see more grounded and patient people. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing at FaithBridge. I pray right now that we would be people, because I imagine there are people watching this that struggle with being patient with themselves. Maybe, maybe for that, they just, you might just start to whisper some kind of exercises um, that they could begin to do to put into practice how to become more patient. Uh, maybe, maybe for some, they're, they're having a hard time being patient with another person a spouse, a friend, a child. Maybe you would just give them insight into what's their vision? What's the intention? Or maybe for some, they're just struggling with grumbling. Grumbling uh, with the results of the election or grumbling online or just grumbling. Maybe, maybe, God, you just need to give them a new vision. And help them learn what methods and means they can put into practice so that they wouldn't just be people who grumbled and were angry and bitter, but people of patience, people who embodied the fruit of the Spirit, people who could fast forward six months and look back and go, oh my goodness, I'm a little bit more like Jesus because of what the Spirit is doing in me. So God, I just pray. I pray right now that we would be the kind of people that are anchored in Jesus. Don't just say it, don't just sing it, but literally put it into practice. Help us to be the kind of people who are patient, the kind of people who know grace, the kind of people who live with nothing to prove, nothing to lose, and nothing to hide. We love you, God. It's your name we pray. Amen.